podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever, and this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's everybody going? You know, I just ate some uh, Mexican chili powder-covered candy, and I oh, am man. very parched. <laughs> Holy <laughs> that shit. That was a bad choice to uh, prepare my instrument in that way. <laughs> yeah, you're like tuning up to do a podcast, and you're like, I'm going to eat as much chili powder as possible. Yeah, apparently by chili powder candy, they this candy company has figured out how to just compress chili powder dust a la uh, Crunchberry, and just, that's it. Once you bite into it, there's oh, nothing else. It's just a poof of spiciness. That, see, this is, I, I went to um, school with a kid named uh, Jesus Quesada, and I, I was like a small, confused white kid who had never really eaten anything spicy before. And he had this giant, like, th- like Tupperware container full of uh, chili and lime powder. So it's, like, chili powder with, like, lime and spices and shit. And I was, you know, he was, like, one of my... He was, he was one of my two friends circa, like, fourth grade. So one day the two of us ate an entire Tupperware container of chili powder and salt and lime. And as a child who... Um was sent home from school for throwing up after eating all of the salt in the bottom of my baggie of pretzels. That is the <laughs> biggest mood I've heard all week. It really is. Wait, they sent they sent you home for yarking up uh, pretzel salt? I yarked on the cafeteria floor, and the school policy is, you yark, you wark. <laughs> you, you yak, you walk your ass on out. Oh my god, that's incredible. You're not paid enough as a public institution to deal with your puking kid. Oh my, you know, I respect that. And I got into huge trouble because my mom was like, you did that on purpose. And my teacher, I had gotten in trouble earlier that day and had to stay for detention. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten sick and my teacher told my mother he did it on purpose to avoid his punishment. Oh man. See, that's, I feel like... Which is not true. I was just a, a child without, you know self-control yeah i was gonna say like when it came to to you know salt yeah they're they're attributing like xanatos gambit levels of guile to a child that like now he's really trying to get out of his punishment it's like no i am just drunk as hell and my brain is not finished cooking and i ate as much salt as i could cram into my rotten little mouth that's that's why i've done anything that i've done today is that i am confused and small did, did i ever tell I mean, you today i ate the bottom of a bag of malto meal crunch berries <laughs> just like the dust fuck yeah this i is... crushed it up in my gnarled little hands and shoved it into my mouth like a <laughs> raccoon man right see this is honestly uh the best part of a bag of sour patch kids is that acidic nasty sugar salt at the bottom did i ever tell you about the time that I, uh, like the, the popcorn kernel incident when I was three years old? No. Oh, man. The fact that it has a title such as the popcorn incident. <laughs> See, yeah, I, I love, it's like the Calvin and Hobbes, like the noodle incident, where it's, there, that, that's a trope where it's like, we don't talk about the noodle incident. And it's, you will never find out what it is. So I hate to ruin the popcorn kernel incident by telling you what it is, but so I was three years old and uh, I was at daycare and uh, you know how kids are fucking bizarre, weird little goblins? Um, yes. <laughs> I, so as a three-year-old, I, during nap time, apparently I had found a popcorn kernel in the carpet and was very excited to have found this secret popcorn kernel in the gross carpet. 
but the thing is that I couldn't let anybody else know that I'd found it because I had to keep it a secret because it was my special popcorn kernel. So apparently I crammed the fucking thing up my nose, my dumb little nose, just like <laughs> with one small finger. It was just like, and just crammed it up near my brain. It was just like, ha I did it. Oh, fuck, I can't get it out. So I started crying and like scratching at my face and just like blubbering because I couldn't get this thing out of my nose. And so they called my parents and like we all went to the doctor together and they're like, trying to ask a three-year-old like why would you son why would you do it and i'm like because <laughs> my my reasoning for doing anything that i do since the age of three has not changed i just i don't know where i am most of the time um <laughs> and so they tried un- hey why did you watch hellraiser 3 this <laughs> afternoon i don't know <laughs> it just happened because it just it was there and then it had the guy with the pointy head and i watched the whole thing <laughs> and then threw up and had to go home Um, But so they uh, spent like an hour trying to fish this popcorn kernel out of my weird little skull and they couldn't do it. So the doctor, you know, told my parents, like, listen, I think we're going to have to operate because we can't get it out. And so my dad, who he's still smug about this, by the way, my dad was like, have you tried getting my son to sneeze it out? And the doctor was like, well, that's just fucking absurd. Like, you can't that's not how anything works. Like you can't just sneeze it out. My dad was like, I don't know, man. I don't know from nose kernels, but maybe just get a fistful of black pepper from like the break room or whatever and put it under his weird little nose and let's see if we can get him to sneeze it out. So they did that and they got the table, not the table salt, excuse me. Uh, They got the pepper, put it under my nose. I sneezed and it ricocheted off of the wall. Like, just <laughs> ping! And the doctor lo- apparently looked so annoyed that this had happened. Um, Hoisted by his own guitar. <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes a fool to find, to both get, get, to get oneself into and then get out of a mess. Um, so yeah, that was, I honestly don't know how I, how I made it to 32 years old. I should be, wait, one more. I should be dead by now. Like, I ate so many dumb things as a child. I crammed my tongue into an electrical socket at one point when I was, like, five. Anyway, um, so so aside from the uh, chili powder candy you have consumed, what other ghoul shit have you been consuming or reading or watching this week? So, um... I think a lot of our listeners may have noticed the encroaching VHS nostalgia, Mm -hmm. and we might be at peak, not peak, because I think our friend Jesse, friend of the show Jesse, um, said peak nostalgia will be when they make new VCRs, when Uh. they produce brand new VCRs like you can buy a new turntable. But we're almost there, because... I have been consuming a lot of VHS, manufactured VHS nostalgia. And what's weird is I've been on record saying I don't really care about VHSs. It's not a thing that I get misty-eyed about. But, however, Mill Creek has made these Blu-rays with VHS slipcases so that it looks like a tape and it's actually got a cassette like sliding out of it oh and man. the spine of the blu-ray has like a handwritten label with the name of the movie on it Ooh. 
So, like, the Kroll has, like, a notebook-style drawing of the glaive and Kroll written on it. And it's got the Be Kind Rewind stickers on the box and all that. Oh, my God. It's not a special version of the movie. It's just a regular Blu-ray of Kroll, which is why Mill Creek are geniuses. They just made a new cardboard slipcover for it. Holy shit. And this this makes me think of those... um, for Christmas, did you ever get those lifesaver things that look like books? <laughs> yes. This makes me think of it's that, that. Where it's like, it's a VHS, JK. It really a Blu-ray. So wait, so it's just a regular degular Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm even excited about Blu-rays that I wasn't... So like, Kroll, you know, I'm very nostalgic about Kroll. So mm-hmm. that one hits the sweet spot. But like, I got Who's Harry Crumb with John Candy. I've never seen this movie in my fucking life, Ryan. But Whoa. it looks like a tape, so I had to have it. <laughs> I've never even heard of Who's Harry Crumb. It's exactly. So this, is, so this is a John Candy. That makes me think of R. Crumb, and then it just makes me think of like John Candy playing R. Crumb in a biopic. Which I, I kind of wish it happened now. I'm kind of into it. So like. I got Silent Rage with Chuck Norris, and like that movie's pretty great for its sheer absurdity. Oh of, yeah, it, it's basically Halloween except Laurie <laughs> Strode is Chuck Norris, and he just his solution is kicking the killer. <laughs> would this would Halloween have been improved with a martial artist Laurie Strode? I mean. I, I am of the opinion that the Chuck Norris hype was generated by a Chuck Norris publicist. Oh, like fuck. Some, it's like some publicist went to a bar one time and said, knock, knock, <laughs> who's there? Chuck Norris. And oh, like God. planted those viral marketing seeds so that he'd make a comeback. Man, honestly, that would make sense. Like, I that period of time was, it was dark. Where everybody yeah, was just very <sighs> contrived. Yeah, constant Chuck Norris jokes, and the problem is that it gave that rotten ginger shit like a, a giant second wind in his career. Yeah, like he's he's a terrible man. So so I have all these terrible Blu-rays, but that's not it. MVD has also made the Rewind collection. And they mailed me, our friends at uh, MVD mailed me Double Dragon on Blu-ray. Double Dragon wasn't a good movie on VHS or DVD. But now it's on (laughs) Blu-ray, Ryan. And this is the best collector's edition Blu-ray I've ever seen. It comes with a poster. Mm -hmm. There is a reversible artwork with the original VHS cover. There are featurette, new featurettes on the making of Double Dragon on this Blu-ray. <laughs> this is now, all right, and this kind of hits upon a thing, right? So the making of Double Dragon on Blu-ray. Um, this is, so they made uh, that like six-hour Camp Crystal Lakes Memories documentary. They... All right, so in 2019, if you're a nerd and you're into a thing like, for example, the Double Dragon movie or the Friday the 13th franchise or something, the need for hashtag content is so great that that's how you get the making of Double Dragon. It also includes, and this is a really good feature, um, an episode of the cartoon. No shit. Oh, they did make a cartoon. 
Yeah, and this Blu-ray <laughs> includes that with it. <laughs> so wait, it's the very plot, good. The plot of the game, movie, and show Double Dragon is there's it's Double Dragons in it. Like there's just two dudes, and they punch guys. And here's the thing: there was also a Double Dragon Battletoads crossover game. Oh, that's right. They made that. Now, honestly, uh, Battletoads. Have you tried playing that as an adult, man? I have been playing Battletoads Double Dragon for the past week, and it is <laughs> fucking impossible to play. This man, honestly, I, so the first video game I can remember playing was Battletoads. Did you just cry and cry oh, and cry so, angry little tears? Yeah, just, it was, you know what it was? It was the motorbike stage. Like, yeah. it, it was the, 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 the speeding up and shit is... Like, the Aladdin game for Sega Genesis had a similar level with the cave and the flying carpet. Um, so, holy shit, Double Dragon... Are you ever... Have you watched the Double Dragon movie? The only thing I remember from Double Dragon from when I saw it was how the mutant that gets all swole is terrifying. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to sitting down and watching it from an adult perspective. You know what movie totally holds up as an adult is the uh, 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, those are very good films. It's still fucking great. Um, I I really, really hate the Michael Bay-helmed remake of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, like, I don't hate it where I, like, sit up at night and think about how much I hate it, but I, it made me real sad to watch it, because it was... And, and now, I'm, I'm like, oh, no, this lacks the, the, the verve and authenticity of a cash grab meant to sell action figures that was from 1990. Like... It's not like it was, you know, they'd sold out or made a, a compromised vision of the thing, but I think it's that, like, it couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Because you had, like, Michelangelo being like, I'm a surfer, but also a rapper? And anyway, I'm like a registered sex offender, where he's, like, constantly telling April O'Neil that he wants to fuck her, and also he is a giant turtle. And oh, it's like, man. what the fuck am I watching? And so, um... Yeah, that original uh, Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. I mean, listen, you've got Elias Coteus as uh, Casey Jones. Forget about it. Perfect. Um, and those foot soldiers, man. Um, I, I, I have a further confession, Ryan. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, Blu-rays are my kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it, this isn't so weird. No. I bought, with actual money, a Blockbuster t-shirt this week. That says, make it a blockbuster night, and it's a photo of a blockbuster. Oh, fuck. Does this look like a Cafe Press shirt where it's just, like, a white t-shirt with a blocky picture of a blockbuster? No, it is the softest grunge, um, orange sunset style, uh, heather blue shirt with, Mm. like, this, you know classic logo of blockbuster man honestly like i feel really spoiled for the fact that living in la i i can name like half a dozen like video rental places off the top of my head that are basically four hobgoblins like us (laughs) um and and i'm sitting here and our hastings closed so now i've got the public library. Oh which no! Which is very good. But, you know, no knock on the public library, but the, Hast- um, the Hastings the public library is free. The Hastings in Clarksville. I used to work at that Hastings. <laughs> it man, I you know what I realized mostly is that people like uh, Rob Zombie a lot. 
That was the yeah. thing I figured yeah, out. Yeah, they do. <laughs> like circa 2008, working at that Hastings. Um, circa 2008, circa 2018. <laughs> people really like yeah. Rob Zombie. Now, here's the thing. I also, I also like Rob Zombie. So I can't even, I can't even act cool. Um, but so, all right. So the uh, goal shit that I have been uh, consuming this week, um, it's not exactly goal shit. It's uh, largely. Um, it, People like it a lot, so it's not really ghoul shit. Like, it's uh, mainstream, very successful. Uh, last night, we all went and saw uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, man, tell me about it. It is probably, if if not the best, certainly one of the best superhero movies I have ever seen. Like, Is it better than Venom? Oh, that's, you know what? It is better than Venom. Um, because Venom, I got to shake my head throughout Venom and go, oh, oh, this movie. And you, all right. So, you know, that thing when you are uh, a shell of yourself and you're empty inside and you can't watch anything without critiquing it internally and like nitpicking the shit out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to watch into the spider verse without doing that shit. Like, I think of it as like the Jurassic park effect where like. It's the experience of being a kid and watching Jurassic Park for the first time, and you are just transfixed and laughing and yelling and crying and reacting to everything the way you should be. Um, and yeah, it's Into the Spider-Verse is... And the thing is, like, I'm also a fucking Spider-Man dork from way back, and it has stuff for people like me who get, like, Brian Michael Bendis jokes, but then also you don't have to know shit about Spider-Man to get everything that's going on and, and have a good time. That's awesome. Um, that's really good to hear. It was a fucking delight. So something that is not as good as... Although, actually, you know what? Maybe it is. Let's 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 give it the benefit of the doubt. So the first movie we're talking about this week is Hellraiser 3, colon, Hell on Earth, which... So... It, is currently streaming on Shudder. Uh, Who is our sponsor? Thanks, Shudder. Hey, Shudder. Um, is this the... Mu- so Hellraiser is a franchise of insane sequels, but <laughs> is this the most insane? It certainly might be. Um, so Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, uh, is the obviously the third uh, sequel in the franchise where like Hellraiser 1 and 2 are largely basically the same movie, I think, in a lot of ways. Um where it's very, it's like kind of, it's it's half British, and there's a sweeping orchestral score, and it's like it's basically just the same movie. It's it's sort of like how Halloween one and two are just kind of like an extended. It like takes place at the tail end of the previous movie, and it's like a two parter. Um, so Hellraiser three is bug fuck banana pants. They what they did. Um, the the best way that I can describe the difference between Hellraiser one and two, and then Hellraiser three, Hell on Earth is that Hellraiser 1 and 2 are like, you know, he is in his own hell child and quite unreachable. And then Hellraiser 3 like, fuck you, random passerby on the street. This, <laughs> the, the Cenobite whose thing is that he's a DJ is going to shoot a CD through your fucking head. Um, and it is, it is, all right. So the movie opens and it's this guy named J.P. Monroe, who is just a real shitbird. He is, he is terrible. And he owns a th- a place that is a combination leather bar, fancy restaurant, and apartment? You know, like everybody has. Like everybody has. And um, so the, the, the music club, which by the way features the band Armored Saint, so certainly this is a movie that exists. Um, it 
I, I foresaw my adult life taking place in a lot more places that look like a place called the Boiler Room, where it's like fire shooting out of stuff and the band Armored Saint is there and everyone's wearing leather pants. And like as a kid, you watch these movies and you're like, oh, I bet that's what being an adult is like. And I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed in my adult life. So I need to point out to you mm-hmm. that the director of this movie, Anthony Hickox, directed the Waxwork movies. Oh, shit. Featuring, uh, uh, what's his name? David Warner? Yeah, yeah. The movies that are basically, uh, we in an excuse to do a scene from a vampire movie and also a scene from a werewolf movie and also <laughs> a scene from another movie. So, um, wax figures, maybe? Yeah, no, yeah. Waxwork is like a series that Vincent Price would have passed on. You know what I mean? Like, they would have pitched him waxwork and been like, yeah, so, you know, Vincent Price, you're basically evil Willy Wonka and you're in charge of a, an evil Madame Tussauds. And he's like, mm, I'm okay, thank you. And just like moonwalks away from that shit. David Warner's not too good for it though. So yeah, waxwork, those movies are, uh, those are full moon, I think, aren't they? Um, no, they're uh, Vestron. Vestron, thank you. Um, also, Hickox stars or has a role in every movie he works on. Who was he in Hellraiser 3, colon, Hell on Earth? Soldier 2. Okay, so he is a soldier, which, all right, so this movie does a thing where it kind of doesn't know which war is which. Um, where So the, the movie follows uh, a character played by uh, Terry Farrell, and her name is Joey, uh, because having androgynous names, as was the style at the time for a horror heroine circa 1993, um, Joey is played by Terry Farrell, who also played Jadzia Dax on Deep Space Nine. So I'm immediately fond of this character because I love Jadzia Dax so much. Um, and she's a struggling reporter uh, who is living in, bracket, New York City. Um, and she, the movie starts and she's hanging out in an emergency room waiting for a story and all right so here's my question also and i i don't want to be i don't want to nitpick the thing like the fucking cinema sense guy because that's a boring and and awful take on a thing but how the fuck does joey afford the palatial apartment she has in this movie if she's struggling all of the homes in this movie are insane even the rich guy's warehouse is just baffling to it's, me it's unbelievable like the the apartment in uh the, yeah so the apartments in this make me think of the apartments in uh the predator 2 where it's just like no one lives like this and so uh she um becomes not ma- even in futuristic 1997 <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the, all right so the um i a thing that i appreciate about this movie there is a head explosion at the top of the hour like 10 not even 10 minutes into this movie um, a guy gets wheeled into the emergency room where Joey is hanging out, and he's got fucking Cenobite paraphernalia hanging out of his body, and he's screaming, and she's like, oh, a story. And then the dude's fucking melon just explodes. Um, and I appreciate any movie that's like, hi, folks. Hi, welcome. Thank you for coming out to see Hellraiser 3. Here's your head explosion. So let's talk about what we're all here to talk about. Mm-hmm. The Hellraiser 3 janky Cinnabons. <laughs> the Malto Meal Cinnabites. Uh, the, the Kirkland Signature Cinnabites. The ones that are like, listen, store brand is basically the same thing as name brand. 
Um, and, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's like Pinhead. All right. So, uh, Pinhead in this movie, uh, on the fly, in bracket, New York City, uh, has to make some makeshift Cenobites in order to... I don't. Does he ever say what he actually wants to do, or is it just like... I just want to torture the shit out of as many people as possible. I guess he's just being a jerk. He's just and being he's a just huge dick. He's pulling his pins out of his head and trying to poke people with them. Oh, man. And actually, and let's get into this for a moment, by the way. I feel like for a moment, this movie forgets that Pinhead is not actually Freddy Krueger. Because in Hellraiser 1 and 2, like, those movies were pretty sparing with Pinhead, right? Like, most of them are, yeah. I think, where he's... Even the new ones, where all they really have to do is insert him to maintain the rights. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just rewatched Hellraiser uh, Revelations. He's in that movie for, like, a second, so that they're like, we got it. Yeah, and he sort of just looks like some rando jamoke they crammed into the pinhead costume in Hellraiser Revelations. <laughs> oh, he is. He's he's Fug Brackley. The Doug Brackley. <laughs> Fug Brackley. Good old Fug Brackley. Um, and so Pinhead is like, so in Hellraiser 1 and 2, you know, he's sort of reserved. He's hanging out. He's got an understated fiendish nobility provided by, you know, veteran actor Doug Bradley. And then for whatever reason, in Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, they decided, like, no, you know what? This is the pinhead show. He should be cartwheeling into the frame, doing one-liners. There's a bit where uh, Pinhead chases Joey into a church, and the pr there's a priest hanging out, and she's like, there's a demon after me. And he's like, oh, child, demons are just metaphorical. And she's like, then what the fuck is that? And points, and it's just like, ah, who else but Pinhead? And he... Is he basically turns into like the great value Freddy Krueger, where he's like simulating the communion, where he's like cramming his skin into the priest's mouth and going like, "This is my body," and he's like miming the crucifixion pose like a fucking piece of shit. He's just he is a hooting, hollering dipshit in this film. Yeah, we're like, we get it, Pinhead. You're evil. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. Yeah, like, let's move on. And he's like, ah, uh, what if I was like Jesus, though? And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's that's great. But then, uh, in so <laughs> going with the creation myth thing, he creates, uh, after being released into the world, after a statue eats a bunch of people, it's not important, um, he creates, Quincy, these the, the state of these makeshift Cenobites. They're the Cenobites for the next generation. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they... we don't have, we have the classic Cenobites, the Chatterer, Butterball. The F female Cenobite. The female Cenobite. Cenobite <laughs> with boobs, number one. Yep. So we have, because what says 1992 more than CD Cenobite? Ah, it's amazing because it's like, so it used to be, <laughs> like with Cenobites, you would just, they would just torture the shit out of you and warp you into an unrecognizable shape, right? Like, Butterball Cenobite wasn't Butterball because he was a glutton. Like, Chatterer wasn't the Chatterer because he was just a little chatterbox that they, like, they just got turned into some ghouls. These ones... The, what you did in life is now your thing as a Cenobite. So the camera guy is a camera. <laughs> he's a is... camcorder. He's got a camcorder eye. Yeah, he's got a camcorder eye. You've got the CD Cenobite, whose thing was that he was a DJ. So naturally, he's got 
compact fucking discs crammed into his head and he just like launches them at people you've got a and can we talk about how in 1992 how expensive that would be (laughs) oh my god like that actually that's my question where does he get the cds and if he fired off a c like let's say uh cd cenobite goes out you know a murder in and he just like launches cds into people's faces or whatever and kills them if you've got CDs lying around afterward, what happens if you pop one of those into a CD player? Does it is it like is he just firing off like the best of Billy Joel and like an air supply CD? Like how where does he come across the CDs that he is shooting at people? You know, this is a really good question. What CDs does a Cinnabite listen to? All right, I know what it is. It's Combi Christ. <laughs> and uh, Nitzer Ebb and Ego Likeness and VNV Nation. I think it's Phil Collins' No Jacket Required. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, he's, you know, Pinhead, uh, little known fact, huge Phil Collins fan. Um, <laughs> he, it's not even, you know, it's not evil or anything. He just, he just likes to listen to it. Um, and so Pinhead even says to Joey in front of all of the fucking... Uh, junior varsity Cenobites. <laughs> uh, like, they're, they're the shadow of my former troops. But listen, like, they, they try very hard every day. And they, they, they're punctual. They, they show up on time for work every morning. Um, and he, like, literally says they're not as good as my old crew. But what are you going to do about it? Like, I... As if they knew the people watching this movie were going to be like, wait a damn minute. Yeah, and then you've got the... So J.P. Monroe, the evil rich guy who, who dies, he gets turned into a piston head, which, okay. His head is just like a giant piston that's like thrusting, and he's like, ah, it feels like dogs are fucking in my brain, or whatever the fuck he says. Uh, he doesn't say that. Uh, he... So this movie does a weird thing, which is that Doug Bradley plays both Pinhead and uh, C- Colonel Elliot Spencer, who is, he's like the guy that Pinhead was before he got turned into a Cenobite. Yeah, and like, they try to, he gets turned back into Elliot Spencer for a moment, because cause they're like, hey, remember when you didn't used to be a shitbird uh, <laughs> who, you know, wants to torture everybody, even though that's not what this film franchise has set up. Oh no! But but now that's what it is, man. And honestly, the, I, it bugs me that Pinhead is so fucking out like OOC in this because he, I feel like, and this is just because I'm a Clive Barker nutswinger, Pinhead should never be physically touching anyone. He is too good for that. He has chains. He is like hovering. He doesn't need to touch you to fucking rip your nipples off and and make you orgasm to death or whatever the fuck it is a Cenobite does. Um, Pinhead should not be cramming his fingers into a priest's mouth to mime the communion. Like, it, this, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. And then also, I do love that it tonally keeps the thing from Hellraiser 1 and 2 of, like, the way to defeat Pinhead is to just play keep away with a box and then solve it and then he's gone now. <laughs> Where, like, Joey has the box and he's just like please give me that. And she's like, man, he's like, oh, Jesus. Can you, listen, I've had a long day. I've made some shitty Cenobites. I just want to go home. Uh, and she just like chucks it out a window and he can't do anything about it. And it's like, okay, what are the parameters of Pinhead's powers? You know, that's a good question. 
but I don't feel like answering it because <laughs> clearly this franchise doesn't feel like answering it either. It certainly does not. Uh, and so the way that the movie ends, so, all right, so a bunch of bullshit happens, whatever. Um, it gets to the end of the movie and the uh, Lemarchand configuration gets buried beneath concrete, I think. And the camera, and then it's like uh, a time lapse happens and it's like, oh, in the indeterminate future. And there's like, mucky mucks and suits wandering around and then the camera pulls back and the whole office building looks like a puzzle box and what well that's also a setup for hellraiser 4 which is hellraiser in space wherein a literal spaceship is the lemarchand configuration yeah yeah and they also we realize that relative descendants of the original inventor have just been building this bullshit box in different versions throughout history. Yeah, I it's it's incredible. And so this movie was like the sort of popcorn movie Hellraiser. Now, I kind of love this movie. I will admit that It's pretty that great. It's I, it's a it's a fun shit fest. Yeah. So wait, so so what 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 which qualities of Hellraiser 3 do you think recommend it the most? Like, what were your favorite bits of this movie? Bullshit Cinnabites. <laughs> <laughs> because it takes the idea of, uh, like, my favorite part of the Hellraiser series is, you know, small stuff like, oh, Chatterer is just a 12-year-old <laughs> pervert that got caught yeah, up with the wrong his put, He pounded his pud so much that the demons took him away for it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that kind of insular, minor headcanon stuff. (laughs) And the idea that this movie just goes, they're sitting together, and they're like, we gotta top the last one. And they're like, Mm -hmm. someone is late to the meeting, and he just picks up a CD and goes, this one's got CDs. (laughs) Um, This one's got, it's like an episode of Sci-Fi Channel's Face Off, where the contestant... (laughs) ran out of time and the producers are like actually so it's like uh pinhead did what like macho man randy savage did before the cream of the crop promo where it was just like whatever was on hand right then like and he just like whatever is in the break room right then he's like pinhead's like all right what do i got i got a camera i got now all right there's another thing that i love about this movie which is that the writer and director of this movie have never met a human being. So Terry Farrell um, (laughs) makes a friend, kind of. It's this total, complete-ass stranger that uh, is hanging around with JP, and she basically, she sort of looks like uh, Eliza Dushku a little bit. She kind of looks like Faith from Buffy. And uh, she decides to just, like, loiter around Terry Farrell's, you know, know, the palatial apartment of a struggling reporter. Um, And (laughs) in front of, like... The literal soundstage with a couch in it. (laughs) Um, And this, all right, so there's a moment in this movie which is my favorite, which is they don't know what human conversation is supposed to look like. Um, So Terry Farrell, uh, sorry, I I should just say Joey, not Terry Farrell. Uh, her father, who died in Vietnam and who she has never met because he died in Vietnam before she was born, um, she has she's been dreaming about her father in Vietnam, and this is meant to tie back in later on. It's not important, but so her new friend, who she met like a day ago and who lives with her now for whatever reason, uh, she is recounting to this this new friend. Oh yeah, I was I was dreaming about my father. He died before I was born, and the friend goes. Oh, oh wow, that's so cool! And Joey's like, I, 
what? And she's like, oh, no, sorry, not your dad dying, just dreams, you know? I, I, I never dream, but they sound great. And it's like, what is happening in this motion picture? Like, she's just like, oh, that's so cool that you dreamt about your dead father. Um, and then later on, um, she, the, the, I'm just going to call her the loiterer. That's her, that's her Cenobite name. Um, the loiterer gets turned into a Cenobite, uh, because Pinhead promises her that she'll be able to dream once she's a Cenobite. And she has, uh, her voice is pitch shifted downward to sound evil. And also she has a tracheotomy in her neck with a cigarette. And she is just, it's constantly smoking and she's constantly puffing on it. You know, because 90s. <laughs> because, because 90s. My question is, is that an actual brand of cigarette? Is it, an, is it like a Cenobite? Like, does she roll her own out of, like, the souls of fornicators or some shit? Or is she just, like, walking into a Circle K and just, like, she has her, you know, it's got to be parliaments. It's got to, like, you know, she does she have to keep acquiring new ones? Or is it, like, a perma-burning... Anyway... So I believe that the CD Cinnabite must go to a Sam Goody every <laughs> hour, lest he perish, and I believe that she must go to a Circle K <laughs> through all of eternity. Yeah, and then, you know, the uh, camera guy Cinnabite has to go to, like, a radio shack occasionally just to, because, to you know. prohibitively expensive battery packs. <laughs> Holy shit. And, yeah, so the B-team Cinnabite's in this. Like, it's... <laughs> It is just outstanding. And they are like, you know, you've got the sort of uh, quiet, private horror of Hellraiser 1 and 2 where it's like you're in your own private hell or it's like a, it's like a tense domestic drama that happens to involve demons. This one, you've got Cenobites exploding police officers in the street. There's a Cenobite whose thing is that he's a bartender and he gets turned into a Cenobite and he's got a cocktail shaker that he uses as an explosive. He like blows fire out of his mouth after drenching people in alcohol. And, like, he is just laying waste to Hillendale, just killing cops in the middle of the fucking street. It is insane. So, oh, let's look at our list. What a great movie. <laughs> is Hellraiser 3 more insane than Hellraiser 4? Oh, man. All right, so here's the question. Which, which is a more insane thing? A generation-spanning Hellraiser movie that takes place in both present-day, 18th-century France, and the outer space-ass future, or 1992 Hellraiser 3, Hellraiser uh, Hell on Earth, where it's like, we've got garbage B-team Cenobites uh, exploding cops and impaling people's heads with a camera lens. I don't know, man. I think I prefer Hellraiser 3 to Hellraiser Bloodline. <laughs> I think I do, too. I feel like uh, Friday Night Test, at least, if uh, I'm settling in for a good time, I'm probably putting on Hellraiser 3 over Hellraiser. Because Hellraiser Bloodlines, I could not... I've seen it many... many I've, sorry, I've seen every movie in the Hellraiser franchise many times because I've lost control of my life. <laughs> but I could not tell you a single moment from Hellraiser Bloodlines, really. I'm, I can't tell you plot. I can tell you images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that, like, there's an and there, there's a, a Cenobite who likes to fuck members of the Lemarchand family? 
and also baby Adam Scott is there. And that, like, that's pretty much what I know. Where Hellraiser 3, I can off the top of my head be like, oh shit, no, there's that one scene where Pinhead pops up in the leather bar and takes the ice from a woman's drink and solidifies it into one solid chunk of ice and impales her head with it, because fuck you. And what? also Motorhead. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, actually, purely for the Motorhead tie-in song, which that song was not written about the movie Hellraiser. It's just about how Lemmy Kilmeister likes to play rock and roll and drink alcohol. Um, but he did make a tie-in video, like, they did make a tie-in video for Hellraiser 3, wherein Lemmy Kilmeister is sitting around playing cards with Pinhead-ass Pinhead, like, literal Doug Bradley dressed as Pinhead. And, like, they're sitting at a table surrounded by, like, bondage goofs, and they're, like, slowly revealing their cards. And Pinhead is snarling at him. And then Lemmy Kilmeister goes, Heh, I got this. And flips over the last card, and it's the Joker. <laughs> and Pinhead is like, Oh, dude, no, that's no, oh, no fair. I can't kill Lemmy now. And it, I just love it so goddamn much. So, yeah, so I'm putting uh, Hellraiser 3 above that. All right, witches. All right, here we go. Uh, other Hellraisers we have are Hellraiser. All right, is it better or worse than Hellraiser Two? Hell, or excuse me, Hellbound Hellraiser Two. It is not better than Hellraiser Two because Hellraiser yeah. Two is still a movie that establishes and maintains a mythos, and yeah. Hellraiser Three is Calvin Ball. <laughs> Completely right. Like, this one is... Uh, now, this was an original Hellraiser script uh, in a way that the that every Hellraiser after Hellraiser Bloodline is uh, an unrelated script that they just kind of cram Cenobites into. But it feels like that's what they did. Like, it yeah, feels like... Yeah, this kind of a... set the precedent of you don't really have to try with these. <laughs> yeah, this is... I Yeah, you're completely right. Like, this is... Uh, you know, they took an unrelated spec script about, like, an evil leprechaun or some shit. Not the leprechaun, who just, like, pops out and kills people in ironic uh, methods. And they were just like, eh, what if Pinhead also cut one-liners? Um, and Hellbound Hellraiser 2 actually establishes a mythos and sort of has any kind of... Now, I like that Hellbound Hellraiser 2 takes itself very seriously and is fucking absurd. And this one is fucking absurd and understands that it's absurd, and it's just trying to give you a fun popcorn experience for Hellraiser. That's true. It's not self-serious. No, but I think Hellbound Hellraiser 2 is is a better movie. Like, if I'm, if I'm being honest, like, I think actually Hellraiser 2 is my favorite movie in the Hellraiser franchise. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> yeah, and Pinhead is barely in that fucking movie, and then... Uh, so, but anyway, so I think it's also, uh, it is, to me, better than Carnosaur. Whoa. But I don't think it's better than The Fly, though. Like, I think The Fly is better than Hellraiser 3. Yeah, yeah. It, you're also saying that Christmas Evil... Well, okay, you're right. Christmas Evil is not as good <laughs> as Hellraiser 3. I mean, I love Christmas Evil, but it, yeah, it's, okay, so Christmas Evil is better than that. Is it better or worse? So it's definitely not better than The Fly. Is Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth better or worse than Ryan Prowse's Low Life, which features a luchador? Man, that movie fucking rules. Yeah, it rocks. Uh, I definitely, I'm putting, I'm putting that one over it. Uh, so I feel like, I feel comfortable putting Hellraiser 3 colon Hell on Earth above Christmas Evil and below Ryan Prowse's Low Life at number 141. 
man, we've seen so many movies on this holy, list. Holy fuck! I gotta I gotta point out here. We are now. That was uh, number. That was the three hundred and fifty second movie we have watched. And now list. let's talk about the most banana pancakes movie we may have ever watched: uh, The Legend of McCullough's Mountain. <laughs> Uh, or uh, so this Legend movie of Blood is so so it's the Legend of McCullough's Mountain, aka the Legend of Blood Mountain, aka the Passion of Bestoink Dooley, aka the Legend of Blood Mountain, aka Blood Beasts of Monster Mountain. So the story behind this movie <laughs> is that the producer bought Legend of Blood Mountain, which was a Georgia. Uh, horror movie with local horror host Bestoink Dooley. Wait, are you shitting me? That guy was a local horror host in Georgia? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bestoink Dooley is a character. He's George Ellis. Oh, of of the Savannah Dooleys? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, the fucking no, Bestoink. No, George Dooley. Ellis is the name of the, the actor, but he used the character Bestoink Dooley as a horror host uh, like most local channels did. Ah, the, so the, le- the, so the Legend of McCullough's Mountain is just a Bestoink Dooley vehicle. So what it is, is the original movie is about a space vampire that is killing people. Uh, but this movie was... Uh, the producer, bought, Bob Corley, bought this movie... Um, right as after um, the legend of Boggy Creek, and realized oh. that Bigfoots were popular, so he recut this space vampire movie and cut out all the space vampire and added the same blurry footage of a Bigfoot, <laughs> and added man on the street interviews. Why? All right. All right. All right. <laughs> I, I, what's, what's amazing is looking at the notes we have on the Legend of McCullough's Mountain, a.k.a. the Legend of Blood Mountain, where it's... A.k.a. Blood Beast of Monster Mountain. <laughs> a.k.a. AKA of Bes- the Passion of Bestoink Dooley. <laughs> it, I've, I've just got, uh, what is happening, and then why? What? Why? What? What? Where it's just like, it starts as like a mockumentary, and then goes into like a news report thing, and then just like cuts to a random hunter getting murdered by an unseen assailant. Now, the movie... And if my notes are correct, the quote-unquote reporter is the producer of the movie. <laughs> Shit, yeah. And honestly, all right. So, uh, on, on this here podcast, we uh, have an enormous fondness, I think, for good theme tunes, like the Spring Break theme. Yes. Uh, from from the mutilator. Like like uh, the tie-in rap from uh, Maniac Cop 2. <laughs> right. Like uh, the New Year's Evil theme. Fucking slaps. This movie uh, is no exception because the intro theme is like this James Taylor-esque cover of this guy. He goes for it. I appreciate so much that half of... All right. So half of the time, I can't tell if they're trying to do a good movie or if they're just trying to make something bad to make us unhappy. They're trying to make money, right? It is all we can buy this movie for dirt cheap because it was made on a song. It was made for a song so, to make this local TV star popular. And everyone in this movie is clearly 
random community theater star in Georgia. It is cast <laughs> like a community theater production. It definitely is. Uh, this. So I've just Googled it. This Some was... lady said, I want to try a British accent for this movie. <laughs> and they said, go for it. Yeah, this is just like whatever you feel like doing. You want to wear a mustache? You want to be a Bigfoot? Fuck it. American dream. Go, go out there and just do whatever. Um, now, actually, I've just Googled it. This movie had a budget at the time of $750,000. Which movie? This movie. The original cut? The, what IMDb refers to as archival footage? Or (laughs) the segments where the producer pretends to be a Bigfoot interviewer slash news reporter? Well, it's, it's incredible because I feel like most of that budget went to fake newspaper props. (laughs) <laughs> like because so bestoink dooley which by the way i've you, you know how sometimes you get a word or a sentence or a name stuck in your head bestoink dooley motherfucking all day i've just bestoink dooley it's like when <laughs> bestoink i dooley. it's it's like when josh danger made me watch putney swope and all, just the, the name Putney Swope, like for... Bestoink Dooley. Bestoink Dooley. Like bestoink Dooley. It's like my brain is a toothless old man, and Bestoink Dooley is a clot of peanut butter, and I have just been <laughs> gumming the name Bestoink Dooley. And anyway... Bestoink so, Dooley. And they, they say it like that's a name that any human being would actually man, have. They, they and say, no one in this movie says, what the fuck is wrong with your parents for naming you Bestoink? <laughs> it's a name for parents who hate children. Like, <laughs> Bestoink Dooley, they say his name as much as they say the name Michael in the movie The Lost Boys. <laughs> Where it's just like, it's like they're trying to sell an action figure and they want kids to know which name to tell their parents they want, like which guy they want. It's bestowing Dooley. Uh, So the pacing in this movie is insane because they are tooth and nail struggling to get to 75 minutes. What is, it is, they barely past that finish line by just, like, their teeth. Like, you remember that time that uh, Kenny Omega was trying to give a dragon suplex to Tomohiro Ishii off of the apron, and, and Ishii just, like, bites down on the rope to keep from getting pulled uh, off of the apron? That's what this movie does to get across the finish line of this, uh, the 75-minute mark. It has the longest uncut scene, one shot of this man brave actor George Ellis getting ready for bed getting in bed eating a bedtime plate of cookies <laughs> listening to an entire hour of NPR's pipe dream <laughs> you know he, then he, uh... going to sleep and then waking up the next morning putting on his shoes getting dressed eating another plate of cookies <laughs> Listening to an entire three <laughs> hours of NPR. Holy fuck! Yeah, like we. This is not not just. This is a a full. It's like an Andy Warhol uh, movie that takes place over literally two weeks, where it's just like we definitely need all this incidental shit for for this man's day. And, and so, then he, he 
because Bestoink is a newspaper reporter, uh-huh. he has to tell everyone he meets, I'm a newspaper reporter. <laughs> uh, Bestoink Dooley? I'll tell you what Bestoink Dooley looks like. Uh, you've Bestoink seen... Dooley. So, Bestoink Dooley. Jesus Christ, that name is going to haunt my fucking dreams. Long after <laughs> I've forgotten the names of all of my loved ones, all everyone I've ever known, it's going to be me on my fucking deathbed, coughing up my last, and they're going to like... You know, lean in to hear my last bestoink dooley, and then dead. Um, Jesus. Uh, there. So bestoink dooley. Have you seen Alien Resurrection? <laughs> it's been a very long time. That, that, right. That, so that scene in Alien Resurrection where uh, Ripley Eight uh, finds that uh, lab on the ship that's full of the failed clones that. <laughs> Before they got to Ripley, where they're 8. saying, "Please kill me." <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Bestoink Dooley looks like Zero Mostel. Uh, should be walking into a laboratory with a flamethrower, and Bestoink Dooley is like this malformed hunk of chewed gum. But let's sp- talk about how in this movie bed. he literally gets a flamethrower to kill the Sasquatch. Oh my god, he gets a fucking flamethrower to kill the Sasquatch. And, and the, it is the weirdest flamethrower I've ever seen in a film. Like, I now, and so this is a movie that I think is too shambolic and confusing and weird for MST3K or Rift Tracks to do. Yeah, yeah, like, it is I, so. I, strange i don't think they could do it like it's how do you it's like trying to riff on a glacier that is trying to crush you like you can try to contend with the existence of the legend of mccullough's mountain um the way that you can try to contend with the concept of ventropy or uh a rare disease like it's just it's not on us now we the thing is that we have to rank this movie and i don't know how we're gonna do that is it a okay? So we have penalized movies for not being, you know, rudimentary movies. Films. Yeah, <laughs> for not being unmovable. This movie breaks every rule of filmmaking. It's it's like honestly, multiple times when watching this, I yelled, "You can't do that in a movie." <laughs> yes, I. You know, the, and, the opening title card says this movie is based on real events, and some of the actors portrayed themselves. Yeah, which, which is not a, a sentence in the English language. No, it is not. Actually, I think the exact sentence was: "Characters in this film are real. Some of them portray themselves." <laughs> I what? That, all right, then all there's right. also the man sitting on the rocking chair that just talks for what feels like an hour about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> just tells bestowing old Cracker Barrel stories well, it's, on it's, the porch. It's great because you get now, obviously, as this was filmed in Georgia, you've got this like uh, sort of, you know, good old boy standing around telling bestowing Dooley for like 10 minutes. Now you're going to go down to the end of this. Why? Uh-huh. And then you're going to take a right. And then you're going to go in where the water tower used to be. And it's like you've got this long monologue where this guy is just describing how to get to a place. On this list, we have done New French Extremity and Extreme Japanese Horror and just wild, gory, unwatchable movies. This might actually be the most avant-garde and challenging film we have done for this podcast. So 
I'm looking at this list, and we have films like Blood Harvest and Kuso mm-hmm. and Captain EO. <laughs> <laughs> and it might, Killing of a Sacred Deer, it might be better than Killing of a Sacred Deer in terms huh. of like artistic adventurousness. Hachi machi. Or it might be the worst movie on the list. I'm not <laughs> sure. That's that's the thing that I love about it is like I if somebody asks me should I watch The Legend of McCullough's Mountain aka uh, The Legend of Blood Mountain aka uh, Boggy Boggy Mountain basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. This mountain bleeds real blood, which is the thing <laughs> they discover in the movie is the rocks are bleeding. But turns out it's because the monster keeps killing people and just soaking the mountain in gore yeah. and just runs down the mountainside. And it's everyone like, goes, I guess the rocks are bleeding. <laughs> it's like the Stoink Dooley does Boggy Creek. Um, th- this movie, if somebody asked me if they should watch it, I honestly don't know what I would tell them because I. <sighs> All right. So if you put, you know how when you go to a party, Quincy, that one time you were at a party and somebody was like, hey guys, I'm going to put out a cool movie. And it was Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yeah, the worst party I've ever been to. (laughs) And everybody just like slowly leaves. If you went to a gathering of friends, like you got everybody together and, you know, like let's say, let's say they like horror movies, okay. And you put on The Legend of McCullough's Mountain. Do you think that's a sit around and laugh and scream movie? Or is it just like whipping your dick out at a party and everyone nobody knows what to do with that and everybody just sort of uh, what you know i think it might work because it is so weird that it's just a fascinating thing yeah it's like it was made by somebody who has never seen a movie before yes like it's not it's not even that it's like purposefully breaking the rules I think it's got this anarchic quality where, like, yeah, I was also screaming, you can't do that in a movie. And it's like, I just think it doesn't occur to them not to because they don't know what a movie is. And what's wild to me is there's two late. So, like, I'm always fascinated with, like, live theater because as a, as a literary scholar, mm-hmm. you know, there's the script that the playwright creates and like an edward albee you know god help you if you venture away from the script eugene o'neill will actually kill your family if you don't follow it exactly yeah but then you also have that production of shakespeare's macbeth where everyone dresses up like they're in twilight and everyone (laughs) has ray guns from the dollar store yeah because nothing matters anymore because who gives a shit Yeah, so, like, there's all of these layers in drama with interpretation with live theater. And this movie is that because you literally have a producer that took a complete movie and recut it with new scenes that don't have anything to do with each other. He also forgets that Bestoink is listening to the radio and makes an interstitial television broadcast and plays it over the radio broadcast to stitch the two movies together. Yeah, there's there's a bit in this where they have incidental banjo music on a radio, and then the DJ cuts in and goes, sorry, I've got to interrupt that good song that all of you were enjoying. And it's like, did you just brag about having a song in your movie? Yeah, they literally cut away from a 
bonfire scene where all these people die and replace it with a radio announcement that says, hey, a bunch of people just got killed at a bonfire because <laughs> the footage was of a space vampire, not a Bigfoot, which is clearly a gorilla costume that someone left in the back of the costume shop. Oh, yeah. It got all matty, and they're like, well, we can't throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> we and... do something with it. Yeah, we, yeah we'll, we'll do something with it. Like, it looks like something scraped, like, snaked out of a drain. Like <laughs> Also, the Latin name for Bigfoot, according to this movie, is Homo Nocturnus. Homo Nocturnus. Um, which, by the way, Tinder bio. Um, that's how... <laughs> Why? Yeah, that's definitely what that means in Latin. That, that actually makes me think of, uh, so in uh, college, uh, in one of my creative writing workshops, we had, there was this one dude who had written a story about aliens that abducts uh, a dude and he turns out to, like, the, the alien turns out to be Satan. And so it was obviously, as a, you know, a very bad story, but my favorite bit was that it's like, wait a minute, your name is Morningstar? And they're like, yeah, but that's Lucifer in Latin. And at the time, I just everybody sort of, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> Morningstar is... So yeah, oh, um, so suffice it to say, uh, Blood Mountain, a.k.a. Uh, Bestowing Dooley Does Boggy Creek, a.k.a. Uh, Blood Mountain... It is certainly a... No, it's not certainly a movie. It is indeterminately a movie. It's not really a... It's, it's an artifact. It's a novelty. Yeah. But it ain't a movie. All right. So here's, here's where I think... you should still watch it. Oh, you should... Honestly, you should definitely watch it. All right. So if I'm uh, finding a comparable place for this, let's start, I think, with uh, the Ringo Starr uh, not-so-classic Son of Dracula from 1974, which is also very loosely a motion picture. Um, <laughs> it's It's... It's definitely a vehicle for this local celebrity. And in Ringo <laughs> Starr's case, local celebrity Ringo Starr. <laughs> yeah, Come on over to my house and we'll shoot a movie. Liverpudlian hometown boy Ringo Starr uh, makes good and does a project. I, Between the two of them, I gotta put uh, Legend of McCullough's Mountain above Son of Dracula. <laughs> Damn. Because I'm never watching Son of Dracula again. I am definitely watching uh, Legend of Blood Mountain or passing it on to somebody like the curse tape from the fucking ring at some <laughs> point. Like this, it, the, Son of Dracula isn't essential. I think this might be one of the strangest, most inexplicable films I've ever had the pleasure to watch. I hope you know you're saying that uh, Blood Beast of Monster Mountain is better than The Predator. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't want to uh, pluck my eyeballs out after watching it, so in this way, it is way better than The Predator from 2018. Okay, what's a better film? Blood Beast of Monster Mountain or Rob Zombie's 31? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, so... Uh... Oh god! So so here's where we're talking about the difference between inscrutable and inexplicable. <laughs> yeah, thirty one is like if Rob Zombie wrote bad fanfic about Rob Zombie movies, and McCullough's Mountain is fucking insane. Like thirty one is just bad. Where this is like Shia LaBeouf or Volcanoes. Like, it's not on us to say that it is good or bad. It just exists, and we all need to contend with that. Uh, but going by that, I gotta give the edge to McCullough's Mountain because 31 is just... Uh, 
bad in a way that this movie is fascinating. Okay, okay. Other things that are fascinating. Michael Jackson's Ghosts. I'm putting Ghosts above this because I think it is bio, uh, biographically interesting um, because uh, of the things it says about Michael Jackson and the way that he views the world and the way that he viewed the world after his child molestation charges. So in that case, I think it has to go right below Ghosts and above that failed Hammer um, horror pilot, Tales of Frankenstein. Oh. Even though uh, what could have been a finger ringing, a hand ringing Frankenstein trying to to do awful things every week, <laughs> um, this this movie, uh, The Legend of McCullough's Mountain, is definitely better. You know what it is? Tales of Frankenstein, all they needed was a catchy slogan. Like, every time Frankenstein pulls some shit, he just yells, You got Frankenstein! And then walks away. Like, if he had a catchy saying he could have worked in, I feel like Tales of Frankenstein could have made it. But yeah, Legend of McCullough's Mountain is uh, wildly entertaining in a way that Tales of Frankenstein is not. So yeah, so coming in at our new... Number 326, uh, below Michael Jackson's Ghosts, is The Legend of Mikolas Mountain, a.k.a. The Legend of Blood Mountain, a.k.a. The Passion of Doink, uh, Bestoink Dooley. I almost said Doink Spooley. <laughs> That's a different actor. <laughs> Listen, That's doink... the third Doink in, in Mexican <laughs> Lucha Libre. So, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can find us all over the internet. We're on Twitter at RankinVileCast. We're on Tumblr uh, at RankinVile. If you have a listener request, go to our Ask Box on Tumblr and uh, submit that or send us an email RankinVileCast at gmail.com We got a listener request from Duncan this week to rank the Brave Little Toaster. That's not a horror movie, Duncan. Terrifying <laughs> no. does not equate an actual horror movie. And in, in fairness... We did do Venom on the podcast, but I feel like that is at least more openly... It, it more openly has horror elements than The Brave Little Toaster. Yeah, that's just a traumatizing movie. <laughs> we also haven't done All Dogs Go to Heaven on ooh, this list. That um, doesn't count either. <laughs> that's ooh. not... I mean, a, a, a friendly dog does go to Christian hell in, in, <laughs> in a vision quest, so... I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel like, uh, listen, we've done wrestling matches with pumpkins on this podcast. I feel like maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, all right, Duncan. God damn it, Duncan. We're not doing it on this episode, but maybe, god damn it, maybe. Maybe it's something. <laughs> no, we're not doing the Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> all right, that's fair, and I understand, and I agree. Um, we, so we are also on uh, Letterboxd at Rankin Vile. Um, where you can find uh, lists like Sam Neill losing his shit, which is a, a, a crucial genre of movie. Uh, this week, I am setting up a uh, letterbox list featuring uh, killer, uh, killer dolls and killer toys because I realized this is a weirdly large subgenre of horror, which is killer toys. Uh, and this is coinciding with the fact that there, I, you know, we were at the movies and I, I saw a poster for uh, the new Child's Play movie, which why? Um, the, so yeah, the so, hard reboot, <laughs> yeah, the, the hard reboot of Child's Play. Like guys, they're they're still out here making those movies. Let's 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 rein it in. Um, but so we're over there. We're on Tumblr at Rankin Vilecast. We are on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're on Last FM. Um, 
yeah, and if you have any other requests, you're going to want to send it to uh, rankandvilecast at gmail.com. And I can't think of anything else. You got anything else? I do have a couple of Rank and Vile stickers left. Uh, those have been repped on Twitter by uh, friend of the show, Hinderly. Uh, one of them has been called for. I've just been really slow with getting uh, mail out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want a Rank and Vile sticker, uh, I am not legally allowed to sell them, but I can <laughs> put one in the mail for you. <laughs> Yeah, that's listen. We 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 like mailing things out. So yeah, so hit us up. Uh, but yeah, that's about all I got. You got anything else? That's it. Stay spooky. Later, folks. <laughs>